Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, we have not met for some time. So where we were last time is we had started giving examples of some Tanam and Amaram who worked. Um, what I aim to show in this part of this is hopefully the recognition that even though we had all big machlegas of Shemba'echai and Rabbi Shmuel, even though we discussed all these different approaches, that there were by and large, um, with perhaps rare exception, most of the Tanam and Amram we encounter had to make a Parnasa in some way. And the Gemara is not shy about admitting it. We talked about many, many different instances of Tanam and Amram work. So I haven't ever like put together all this in like a historical framework, like which years, which rabbis, which places, maybe that's a, a desired deratum. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, something like that. Um, some eventual outcome if I have time, but that's not, that's definitely not the top set of things I need to do. So they won't unfortunately be in order per se, but we'll, we'll touch on various different uh, examples as we go along. So last time, if you recall, we discussed the, what I thought was an interesting uh, thing that no one points out, that sometimes the rabbis had different jobs at different stages of their life. Uh, we talked about Rav and the fact that he was a beer merchant. We got into that discussion about, you know, how he was a uh, matter to, to make Kiddush on beer, but some, someone said not such a, the sweetest thing about him, he says, oh, you because you became a beer merchant, now all of a sudden you're a Kaddish on beer. But we, and the Rashbam already was retired for Rav. Why? Because Mara before himself and said that Rav was also in the Kaddish on Rifta. He must have made Kiddush on bread when he liked it. You know, he had, uh, as, you know, I don't know if I made the joke then, apologies, but like Zach the baker, when he heard of that bread in Miami, is like a very nice, I don't know, a lot of different grains. I'm not sure exactly who went online for an hour for the bread. So such a nice bread. So if you're Rob would have you Kaddish a rift fine. So you can't tie on Rob like, oh, he's making Kiddush on beer. He makes Kiddush on a lot of different things, whatever he likes, he makes Kiddush on. Fine. And we discussed um, another Gemara. We discussed a few Gemaras there in Avrib Sakam, Sakam in general, in terms of in terms of um, working. And we also discussed last time this, I said this, this uh, it seems to be a difference in the Gemara and Harius and, and Brachas in relation to Rabbi Shua's work. On the one hand, we know from the Gemara and Brachas after the whole Maestro with, with Reverend Gamli and Rabbi Yeshua that he went to go apologize to the Gemara says that he came to his house and he saw that the walls are very dark. So he says, oh, I didn't realize you were a blacksmith. And Rabbi Yeshua responds like, Nebuchadnezzar, you don't understand what the kind of Parnosa troubles that your generation has, that you don't realize. But then we also had a Gemara in Harris where it says that they both went on a journey on a boat to go do business. And... Rabbi Shua came along with all these extra provisions because it was a, a comet that comes every seven years. We think maybe Haley's comet, and he, he confuses the, the, the captains as to where the boat should go. <laughs> and the Gemara says that Rabbi Gamliel didn't come with such provisions. So Rabbi Gamliel said, if you can borrow the, you know, have from Rabbi Shua, which was no problem. And basically, the Gemara there uh, indicates that, um, that Rabbi Gamliel didn't, didn't understand like how Rabbi Shua be so wise for this and um he says a line that's a very shocking line he says says you're so wise in so many different matters and we know from sure had you know the ability to deal with uh people who are not religious the fact you know he's able to be philosophers he's like a not just 
in the box. And yet, Rabbi Gamliel says to him, you have so much in your hands, you're so wise, and you still have to go to make, to make a parnas on the boat and, and, and go travel all this way. Fine, but it sounds like Rabbi Yeshua had different parnasses at different stages of his life. They don't seem to like uh, cohere very well. I go, I'm a blacksmith, now I go become a merchant. Like, I'm not sure that the two necessarily go together, but in any event, that's what it seems like. And I thought we'd start from another Gemara in Avrib Sachem, just finish Pesach. The Gemara there is a whole Gemara about Amaratim and all the terrible things that Amaratim are. And Gemara is the famous example of Rekiva, which says, when I was, you know, back in the day, before I became a Rekiva, what I would have done, you know, if I would have seen a rabbi, that's the, he would have, uh, you know, heard him like a, like a bite him like a donkey. The Gemara says like this here a line. Time of Lezo Emer in Mole Anu Tzvichim and Lamasa Matam Hayu Hergen Aisonu. If these Amarats didn't need us to be able to work, you know, to do Parnasa with, it would mamish kill us. <coughs> it, it shows it's a mutual distaste, right? They each despise each other. Um, but what I see from this line is what Il Mole the Gemara is saying in Mole Anu Tzvichim and Lamasa Matam. It's not. That we need them for the mass and we need them to work. What do you mean you need them to work? They're doing business with each other. So there is a relationship. It's a relationship of necessity, not of want, not of not of happiness. It's a relationship that's a forced relationship, but it's nonetheless. There is a relationship between the Maratzim and between the Rabbanon. And, uh, and that seems pretty clear that it's a business, a transactional relationship, relationship of Maratz and Matan. Again, a, a, to me, an obvious example that um there was there was working going on among the rabbis all right so i thought i would start today with a gemara institution um so the more says like this um robin chasida again as i say every line in shas the editors they put it in there this is we're giving whether it was called robin chasida they appended the name i don't know but this is what the editors chose to tell, hear these stories. So you have to understand this. So how many times we have Hasidic shots? Right? You have Amram Hasidic, right? You have different few people that are known as a Hasid. It's not like a common occurrence. You see, like, oh, this guy's a Hasid. Usually the, the Hasid has to do with the name. You can see in the story about that person why he's called a Hasid. Many times you can see it. Like, for example, we just mentioned Amram Hasidic, more than the Kedushin, right? I think Mark tells us about the girls that were staying in the house. and. He, may, he, he was nervous that he was going to go and, and, and act inappropriately. So he starts screaming, fire, fire. They come in rushing to the fire brigade to take away the fire. He's like, where's the fire? My Eitzahar is a fire. Right. So, so here we have Rav and Chassidah. He went on a shlichus job. What was the shlichus? He's going to go marry off um, his son to a girl. And then when he got there, he met the girl. He married her himself. Yeah, so the Mar says, Vatanya, Masha also, also, Yelishanai, Bamegramos. So the Mar says, How could you do such a thing? Yeah, maybe it's a valid Kedushin, but it's a Stigo Ramos. It's not an appropriate way to act. So he says, Not Lo Yavan LA. He said, Rabban Hasido said that my son they didn't want. They, they wanted to give in their daughter. To, to my son. He's not, he's not such a, you know, a, a good learner. So the Gemara says, he better let do it. So why not some disclosure? Before you say you want to marry her yourself, give some disclosure. Tell your son, look, your resume is not as good as mine. I'm sorry, what can we do? 
So, so why didn't he give disclosure to his son? Right? Girls go very quickly. If if he had waited to make sure he gave his son disclosure properly, make sure his son was okay with the situation, somebody else could have came and married her. To me, I find this mind blowing. Like, really, it doesn't take some time to date or whatever. But if you think about certain sectors of the Orthodox community and they do it for show, you know, ten minutes before the engagement, you understand? Maybe it wasn't so rare. People can get engaged relatively quickly. All right. Anyhow, the next story is where I really want to go. But I thought the very interesting Mark gives a nice about Rav and Chassida. Okay. Says the Gemara, Rabbi Barachana, Yavale Zuzila Rav. So Rabbi Barachana gives money to Rav. Omar Zabna Nalela Hayar. says, I want to go buy that property. Right? It's a good property I see on the MLS. Please go get me such a property. So Azo Zabna Nafsha. So he went and bought it himself. Remember, this is Rav, who we said was a beer merchant at one point in his career. He's also a landowner. He's going out and he's doing deals. He goes, he sees the property, he likes it. So he bought it. How could you say that this is normal, normative or normal thing to do? This is Ramos. He practiced a little bit of trickery. You uh, were supposed to go do a job, go help your buddy, get him a property, and you went and took it yourself. So the Gemara says, This valley was in a, in a situation where it was, a, it was in a tough neighborhood. You know, this is like a place in, when I was a kid. Nowadays, you don't have it. And I won't mention it's a tape line. But I remember we would drive around certain places in Brooklyn. And my father said, okay, we have to lock the doors. In those days, it wasn't automatic. You had to all like, you know, when you guys didn't grow up, you had to go to each door, you had to knock down the thing in order to lock it. Yeah, why? These are the kind of places where like squeegee men, you know, from the 1990s was the nice way of putting it. This was a lot worse than that. You get stuck in the place in a traffic jam. You never know what's going to happen. So, so Larab, Nagibay covered. Larab Rachana, Nagibay covered. So Rab bought the property because he knew if Rab Rachana would come there, he would see the way this, the, this uh, town is. He would see he would have very difficult time dealing with these people. They would destroy him. So therefore, it was not for him. I made the executive decision. I bought it myself. Pratik Mara, same question. Like in everything else, why not some disclosure? Just tell Rabbi tell your buddy, listen, you sent me on the job. I, I did some DD for you. It doesn't work. In those days, you couldn't use JATPT to do the DD. You had to do it on yourself. You know, firsthand, I, well, I did it to do it. It's a tough name, but it's not going to work for you. You're a little bit too... Uh, you know, you're a little bit too pretty boyish. We need to we need to have a kind of people who can get their hands dirty. And by me, they they know I'm Rob. I'm a beer merchant. I do a lot of things, right? Oh, so he said it when this deal was being sold today. There's no time. It's like you know what you see in the market when you have auctions for a while. When I first started back where I worked, it was right after the, what they call the GFC, right after the big financial crisis of 2008. And there were auctions held all the time. Why auctions held all the time? Because people who own properties or people who own assets, whatever the assets were, were losing them left and right. Why are they losing them left and right? Either because they were due and they couldn't get financing to keep it going or because they uh, simply didn't have the equity to keep these things going or for whatever the reasons, but there was so many different reasons why people were losing their assets and so banks were foreclosing on them and just taking them over not not with fights it's not with court cases just people walking away from their assets and what does the bank do 
well, the bank cannot afford to manage an asset because the bank will absolutely destroy the asset. The best thing a bank will do is sell the asset. This is the lesson that banks have always learned. And this is what funds their whole genius is really the banks cannot actually manage anything. And if a bank is going to have assets that they're trying to quote unquote manage, they're going to destroy it. And banks have learned this over the years. So the best thing they're going to do is just get out of the way. So you hold auctions all the time. So what are you going to do? You realize your shliach had an auction. You're going to go buy an asset for somebody. And all of a sudden, you decide, you know, I have to give disclosure. Go tell them, explain. There's no time. When the bank says the auction is now, the auction is now. Everybody puts in their final bid. If I said, you put in your bids or do by 10 a.m., and some guy sends his bid at 10.05, like, if I don't want them, I don't have to take it. There's no law telling me I have to take it. I made up the rules. You not have the rules, uh, binding by the rules. Oh, you're out. You're done. So that's the kind of situation Rav says, look, Rav Rahan, I can't get to the asset. There was no time. I couldn't get any disclosure. It wasn't the right asset. Therefore, I took it myself. Next, tomorrow. Rav Gidl was working on a, a deal. He was trying to you know, get a property. So I mean, he was handling, he was negotiating, whatever. He was spending the time trying to make the deal happen. You know, he was negotiating with the owners, the brokers, whatever. He was, he was working his way to this asset. What happened? Also, Rabbi Abba Zavna. Rabbi Abba came along and he bought he bought the property. Doesn't happen in the front world at all, ever. But you, know, you, you, you may have been familiar with once and sometime a situation happened. That people were upset that one guy was working on a deal and all of a sudden somebody came along and chopped it around you know, right from him. Yeah, this is what happened there. Abgidl was working the asset. You know about Abgidl, right? He was Right, Rav Gidl, Brachas tells us that what did Rav Gidl do? He would sit Ashar the Tefillah, right? So that the woman, when they would come to the table, can ask him Shailas. We're talking about a person who lived on a level. He can answer woman Shailas. So he's a, he's an expert on 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 Mikvahs, on on Hilchas Nida. Also, an absolute unbelievable person in relation to his own Yitzhar, that he has no issues, and he's still handling a business, right? Imagine, the Gemara is not telling you this here. You just have to put a few things together. You understand. Rav Gidl is literally a goggle, right? Says the Gemara. So he's working a deal. Azra Rav Abba came along and took away the deal from him. Azra Rav Gidl, Kabbalah Rav So Rav Gidl is not happy about it. He's upset. He just lost the Parnassi. He had a good deal, and now he's gone. So he went to Rabbi Zerah. Rabbi Zerah. This is a discussion amongst the Mepharshim and Buddhists took place exactly. Most likely, uh, I think they say that it took place probably in Bavl because Rav Zerah traveled. Rav Zerah lived in Bavl and he made Aliyah there. So Igmar tells us that he davened, that he should forget. Igmar tells us that he davened, he should forget all of his learning from Bavl. He wanted to have a new fresh start when he comes there. It's so, yeah. Like Igmar says, Bavlon Tipshim, right? Um, so he wanted to learn there. It's his way of learning. So anyways, Rav Gidl goes to Rav Zera, and he says to him, this Maisa, like what Rav Abba did to him, he took my deal. So as Rav Zera, the capital of Rav Yitzchak Nafka. So Rav Zera went, and you know, this is like a Ben Akak. So he went, and he told Rav Yitzchak Nafka what, what, uh, what had happened to Rav Gidl. Rav Abba, you know, took his property. By the way, the reason I'm telling you this, Kabar, is why, is to show the point that Rav Gidl worked. Right, Rabbi Abba worked. And they're in business. They're trying to make deals. They're trying to go buy property, sell property, whatever. This is this is their daily fear. So Rabbi Tzernafka responds back to Rabbi Zera and says, "Amalei Hamten Atshiyala Tzlinu Wait, 
he's going to come up to put a rag out. Anybody heard on the, I, um, I spent a couple of weeks on Friday nights discussing the modern day uh, ability to bring Karim Pesach. And one of the things that we discussed was whether or not there was a concept of being Eila Regal after the Churban Abayas. And um, you see so from here, Achiala, Etzelino, the Regal, you might think, oh, oh he's going to be Eila I said, it's not, it's not a situation probably where it's strong, number one. Number two, that's not what we're talking about here. As Rashi points out, what we're talking about is because during the regular, they had big shiurim, they would give big classes, people would come. So Rashi explains that that's what we're discussing over here. means simply that, that, that he would come up for the shir at the, at the time of Yantav. So Kisolak Ashke, when in fact uh, Yantav came around, Rabbi Abba came along. So Rabbi confronts him. And he says, I've heard of that, right? The famous, the famous line, he's, he's trying to make himself a deal. You came along and took his deal. What do we say about such a person? Nikra Rasha. Somebody comes along and takes his deal, he's a Rasha. So um, the Elamar, my time over now. So what do you do, Rabbi Abba? Why'd you why'd you do this? You took away his deal. You're a Russia. What does Rabba say back? Amalele, have you done Rabba says, ah, I didn't know. I had no idea. I had no idea that that Rebbe was working the deal. I just saw a good deal. You know how it is with brokers that don't, well, it works like this with brokers who have exclusives, but even brokers who don't have exclusives, for sure it happens, right? Because what happens if they don't have an exclusive? Right, so they ask you, you want to do, yeah, yeah, they work you, work you, and then, then they get the best thing. And then they give another look to another guy, right? Who's like, you know, oh, he's a 1031. He's a buyer with money burning his pocket. He got a Yerusha. They give him that shot and right, boom, right? So that's when the, so this is what happened over here. He's a, he says, I, but he says, I had no idea. I'm I had no idea if Gita was working this deal. I just got the listing from the broker. He said, it's, a hot, it's like burning like hotcakes. I have one chance. If I want, I better do it right now. So I did it right now. But I didn't know if Gita wanted the deal. So he says, this is not the end of the conversation. So Gita says to Rabbi Abba, Hashtanami, Nesfinelema. This is give it to him. So, Amalei, Zvuni, Lemizanin, and Leda Arkamaisi. Rabbi Abba says, I'm not going to sell it to him. Why? So he says, um, It's my first deal. I'm a newbie. And, and this, for everybody here who had to work in life, right, this actually makes so much sense. The first deal that somebody does is often like you know the worst deal that they do, right? The first deal that you do is when the money's burning a hole in your pocket or you don't know anything and you're going to learn it on the job as you go along. That's the way we learn. You make mistakes. So Rabbi Abba is, seems to me to have been offered a deal, which another guy was working trying to get a good price, but had a big expertise. Rabbi Abba doesn't have a big expertise. It's his first deal. So the guy's telling him, look, you better take it. If you don't take it, it's going to go like hockey. So I'm warning you. Oh, okay, I'll get it. But Abba says he doesn't want to get rid of it, though. He doesn't want to sell it to Rabbi Gidl. Why not? So he says, because Lloyd Misimna Milsa. So he says, uh, it's not a good simon to sell your first deal. 
You ever see somebody like you go to, I remember as a kid going to the barbershop and you would see a dollar from a Rebbe or like uh, the first dollar that the Italian barber made. They always have it like, you know, like on the mirror. Why? It's the first dollar, right? So there's something at the first deal. My first deal, I'm not, I'm not selling it. I'm not selling it, period. So he says, he says, let, let him come take it as a present. I'm happy for him to take it as a present. But I'm not selling it. So Rav Gidl says, I'm not taking it as a present. I'm only going to buy it. Why did Rav Gidl want to take it as a present? Because it's right? It's a good thing not to take presents. So I'm not taking a present from him. Mm-hmm. So Rav said, I'm not, I'm not working the land. Anymore. I'm not doing, I'm not using this land because Rav Gidl wanted it. And I didn't know, but I could be a Gweza I'm not touching the land. Yeah, I bought it, but I don't care. My first deal went to waste. It is what it is. Total loss, but I'm not going to work the land and be called a Russia. So, neither one used the land. for his reason. They called it the land of the rabbis. Why is it the land of the rabbis? Because it's a Talmudically disputed land. Neither one's going to use it. Each one is feels that the he can't do it for whatever the reasons are. And as a result, that's how it's known in an un- unutilized, underutilized property. There's a big machlegas there, just as an aside, Russian how far it applies. The famous machlegas, you have to know this machlegas, right? According to Rashi, it applies both, right? Rashi says an Anima it applies both in two situations. Situation number one is applies both when you're going to purchase something from somebody and when you're coming to take it from Hefka. It says, what are you talking about? Taking from Hefka? What about the whole beginning of Baba Metziah? What about situations we have in Metziah and somebody wants to go and put his towels on the Metziah and somebody else comes along and grabs the Metziah from under that's only He's Nikar Raja? I'm not kind of it. If there's if there's people going after something and nobody owns it, that's called a Tez disagree. Tez says you only have Nikarash, only situation you're buying from somebody else. But from Hefka, you won't say. But I'm bringing it up. It's not it's a it's a machlegas and chasta one needs to know. But the reason I'm bringing it up for real is the next part of it. We just finished Pesach. So one of my favorite topics on Pesach is in relation to making people sit there a little bit and getting them nervous about what I'm about to say. So I don't have time to get into it now, but the short of it is that I like to say it in this following sentence. The slavery in Egypt was far better than the slavery of the Blacks in America. The Shibu de Mitzrayim was not as bad as the Holocaust. That's what I like to say. I'm like, what? what? What does that mean? How's that, like, how's that possible? How can that be true? What, what, why do we have a Seder? What, what's the whole point of the whole topic? I don't have time to get into it now. But one of my proofs for this, I'm just, we have to keep on moving. But one of the proofs for this is, um, is that I, I, I show how the Yidden had property rights. The Jews had property. They had animals, they had livestock. You go through the circle now, you'll see. What I'm saying is 100% correct, and it's not question. However, there's a ride that most people don't know about, and that is if you look in Paris about Lisbon, if you do not complain to Meshavino about a whole slew of things, 
one of the complaints that they have is what? So Chaynuas Hadaga Shanechol Shvayim Kinon Isakishuim Etzavatichem Etzavitzolam. Right? You remember the pasuk? The pasuk tells us the Jewish people complain about the fact that oh, we have this man biltiel haman einenu haman all man all the time. In the Mitzrayim, we had all these different things, right? That's the famous Chazal that say, "Oh, but the pregnant woman didn't." That's why they mentioned these specific ones because these were not the time of the month. The month couldn't turn into an avatiach or a shum, right, or anything. But what's the first thing that they say in this? L'chaynu es hadaga. You remember the great fish? Like, what do you mean they fished? Where do they fish? Where's their place to fish in Egypt? The Nile. Right. How could they have they had access to the Nile? Well, we know Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, they would go meet her at the Nile. They had access to the Nile, clearly at least at the top of the house. But they also had access to the palace. So how they had the access, also, like I said, not happy for right now. But clearly, B'day Israel had enough access to go to the, to go to the Nile and they catch fish. They were fishermen. Much of Abedin had access to the palace before. I think that's the part one. It it only answers a part of it, right? Because at the end of the day, they had, they were clearly living, and they had animals. They developed all that, you know, by the mark of of Ara, by the mark of Dever. They already had tons of animals. There's no indication from the text that all of a sudden they started developing a business. Only indications from Chazal, right? But Hamushim Malbinei so many Eretz Yisrael during Makas Cheshev that people lost because they had such a big harbacha during the Makas. But it's not clear from the text. All right, I will do a tangent point. Hmm. They had extra extra extra. Yeah. So therefore, why? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do they get it? Right. But again, of the there, you can say slave right? That they, 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 they were wise in their hands, fine, but specifically with regards to um to the you know to the to the building of um, um of the Mishka, we, we have a person who is telling us he is the Tsal El, right? He has he has um He's given a specific gift. I'm saying he's so it's true. It says Chokmah slave. It says other people had had just wisdom. Maybe they developed it, maybe they honed it. But with regards to the, the main architects, says, I'm giving him you know, the ability to do it. Um, all right. So just on that point, what we were just saying, I forgot. Remind me what, what you oh, just yeah. said. You spurred me on. Huh? No, you were saying that clearly. Well, what did you say? What did you oh, say? That, that. I think you were talking to that. Oh, you're talking about the, that they got it all after the house. Year, right? Like, I'm like, I'm going to just the two seconds on this. I really don't want to get into it, you know, too much into it. But how many uh, people here think that every Maka happened to them? Mitzrayim, not the Yiddish. That's the most people think. I think that's the classic, you know, uh, understanding. Every Maka happened to Mitzrayim, and the Jews were able to make business off it because if the Mitzrayim would pay a Jew, then he wouldn't suffer from the same problem, right? Not the measures that they sold. 
I understand. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I, said, I'm, I was going to say it's a, it's a classic little matter says understanding of what happened. But as a matter of Shita Shal Mikra, not to say that the Majrashim didn't happen. There's a point that the Medrash is trying to make, and we can get into that, but that would be too much time. But what I do want to say is, as a matter of Pashat Shat, there's a few specific markets where the Jews and the Egyptians are differentiated. The Hifko Hashem, there's a distinction made in the text between the Jew and the Mitzvah, but it's not every Makkah. In other words, certainly, when the Pasuk says by Makkah Right, that, the, that the, 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 the Egyptians were sitting in the darkness. That's clear. It's 100% an easy distinction to make. The text is telling you that distinction. By a Mako of Dan, where it's not made at all that kind of a distinction, to say that there's a distinction as a matter of shot, it's not clear to say. Midrashim do say in part because of the fact that if you look at, let's say, for example, the Maka of Deva, right, over there, so the Pesach says that Pari goes out and makes the messengers to go check out if any animal died by the Jews. If any animal died by the Jews, why if any animal died by the Jews? But he made, the Pesach says, Loimais Yisrael ad Echad, not even one Jewish animal passed away. Not even one. What's the big what? What's the big chav that not even one Jewish animal passed away? It's okay. We're gonna say one more thing. In the beginning of the story, right at the end of Parsha Shmites, what is when Moshe goes to meet Par for the first time? He says to him, "Hey, the Jewish God is sending you out." What is Par's response? I don't know. Right? I never heard of it. Near Pematam, you're a bunch of lazy people. I've never heard of your God. When we're already in that stage of the story in Paris of Era, in Paris saying, Hashem at Sadek, I'm yours. It's not that he doesn't know who God Kodesh Baruch is. It's not that he's denying his existence or his power. At that stage of the story, the only thing that Paris is denying or challenging is Hashkacha Prati Prati, is the very specific ability and agency of the divine to foster his will in a very minute way that it applies specifically to me. He's not denying the general polyistic power of our God that he accepts. But the protistic power of our God the fact that he has the ability to impact me specifically, and not just in generality, not just within nature, that's the challenge. And that's why what do you mean you're going to go? Like you see also the Makkah of Tzfardaya, right? What happened by the Makkah of Tzfardaya? What does Moshe Rabbeinu say when Pirate says, listen, it's far alive. Now, please, get rid of these Tzfardaya. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say to him? When would you like me to get rid of the Tzfardaya? What is power response? What's power's response? When to get rid of the Tzfardaya? Tomorrow? You haven't such a problem, right? Frogs in the bed and frogs in the head and frogs in the oven and frogs in the thing like that. What, 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 do you, what do you mean tomorrow? Why not today? At the Raya, what Pari wanted now was, yes, he wanted to get rid of the frogs. Sure, there was a problem. But he really wanted to know if the frogs go away tomorrow rather than, in other words, may be a great scientist. Maybe he somehow has a, has a premonition. Maybe he knows the frogs are going away. 
So he's offering me this, but he really knows that the frogs are going away regardless. So therefore, instead of asking for the frogs to go away today, I want them going away tomorrow at some random time. But I'm picking, and that will prove the point whether or not this God is really a Hashgafakotis kind of God or just Hashgafakotis. All right. So why, why do we go off on all these tangents? I don't remember all of it, but I do remember one thing. We start with Aniyam Mahavak Makarar. We talked about fishing. We talked about Pesach. So the reason I brought up this is because there's a huge crisis here, and it's a fantastic case about fishing. As I said, the flag is actually by Hefker, also, or just by when you're purchasing somebody else. So, what does the example Tezis gives? Says, if I say it doesn't apply by Hefker, fine. But Tezis gives an example. What happens? And he quotes this. He says, This is from Rabbeinu Meir, of Shorabbeinu Tam. Okay? So, this is the father of the Rashbam, the father of Rabbeinu Tam. This is Rabbeinu Meir. Everyone knows about Rabbeinu Meir? You know the story, the apocryphal story? I don't know if it's true. No? I thought it's a good story. This is what they say. In those days, even until the 1700s, people would go on a goal. They would go and sort of put themselves in exile where they wouldn't be known and learn from other cultures and towns. And so um, Rashi had, was well known, right? Rashi had three daughters. And uh, they were all experts. They were all, you know, fantastic, wise, you know, learned girls. And he had to marry them off. Um, and he was having some trouble, at least as the apocryphal goes, he was having some trouble. Uh, the, the, what's it called? The list? What's it called? The, what's it called when the boy has a list? No, what's it called? Is that what it's called? The list? No, not what the term. Whatever. Anyhow, the list of the boys wasn't so big. You have to understand, Rashi was in a town, maybe it was 100 people. You know, that were from Jews. Forget the town size, maybe it's a thousand people. We're not talking about big cities. It wasn't exactly a major market for the Shiddah. There's a problem. How's he going to marry off his daughter? And she's becoming an old maid, not getting married. She doesn't like the Shiddah. She's too, she's too much of a fetch. She's too smart. She's too learned. The problem. As the story goes, Rashi is home one day and he's working on a Sugya and as not working out for him. He doesn't, he, he's, you know, that felicitous Lashon of Rashi, that incredible way of writing without having to write much, which is absolutely unique in the annals of our history. Like an amazing, amazing ability to write so sparsely and yet convey so much information. This is his problem. I think he can't figure out how to put it exactly right. So he goes to take a walk. Um, and, uh, you know, he comes back and, and he sees that his, his, uh, his page has been filled out. It's like perfect to work. Like who 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 who's this? In the house they have, you know, random people who's staying in the house. People just, you know, fly by night, Mishabakan, people on exile. They're all a bunch of ignoramuses. They're all people like, you know, merchants trying to like they ask, he knows he lives in a town of a hundred people. And he knows what they're made of. There's nothing there. So the only people who could possibly be are the people, these ignorant who are coming to stay in the house. But nobody there seems to know anything. He's going bonkers. Who, who filled out his beautiful, you know, parish that he needed? So he starts to question all these ignorant that are hanging around the town. He says, you, you, anybody. Finally, he, he, he like makes an intro with one of them. And it turns out it was, it was one of these people, this Mishulah from one of these, you know, people who uh, ran them. Who admits that he had, he had finished it up? So, so uh, 
because that's where Mashiach is ordered to. Some versions of the story say that that what had happened was that Rashi did a yifta. Again, how could you say Rashi would do it? Because he knows it's more about yifta. But this is what the, some of the versions of the story say is that Rashi said, whoever comes into this house, the next man who comes in the world from this house is your marriage. You know the story of Yifta? Right? You know the Maitha? No, because the Navi tells us that Yifta, if he said he's going to win a war, when he comes back home, he says, whoever's going to come out of my house is going to be an oil of Hashem. He expected a cow to walk out. You know, that's the person he would see on his property. But instead, he saw his daughter. She came running to meet him. He's like, oh, now I'm going to have to shock you. <laughs> so we have a machlegas in Chazal. It's not clear if he shepherded his daughter or he just made her uh, like an amanachayas. She just put her to live alone, like Rapunzel in an ivory tower. You know? so it's not clear. But either way, it's a tragedy. It's not a happy story, not a happy ending. I think more uses it as an example of what you shouldn't do. So to say that Rashi said that whoever's going to walk into his house next, that's it, that's the appearance. I don't buy this version of the story. But that's another version of the story. So then, then it turns out that this is the boy who's going to make the way the story then works is the boy who came in, he says, You're the you're the one who's going to marry my daughter. Parents have to prepare for the wedding. And the boy's like, Okay. And Rash is like, Try to teach him out of it. Like, you know, breaking teeth. The guy doesn't know anything. And then the mindset happens. And Rashi walks out one day and has an empty you know, comments over there, and then it gets filled in, and it turns out that this boy wasn't such an idiot. He pretended to be, but he was really very learned. Uh, either way, that, that one maybe sounds better in terms of like you know the story, but but it's still against halacha, like the whole idea that whatever. In any event, this Rabbeinu Mayor, the other Rabbeinu Tam, so he says like this. He says, and this to me is very exciting because I, I I still go fishing a little bit with my kids, but I used to go a lot more. He says the Mayor Bedagmeish came there hadaygim lahasim b'suris dagmeish. Is when the people go fish in the net, they take dead fish and they put them in. And all the other fish, they come because of the dead fish. We do the same thing today. We call it bait. We call it chum. You basically take dead fish and either you put the dead fish in the water. And the way they do it, you know, the big ocean, you put a fish in the water, it doesn't mean all the fish are going to come. So what do you do? You first, what they call chum, you take dead fish, you, you, um, make it like a, what you would do with a hamburger, right? You crush it up, right? So it becomes tiny, tiny, tiny. So it's not big enough for a fish to come and eat. So you put that in the water. So the fish, they smell in the water that there's, there's a lot of food. So they come checking it out from miles around. They'll come check it out. But there's nothing to actually get full on. So then you have your big dead fish, which they, that they could eat. And then they come in and take it. Right, that's uh, the way they've been fishing for a thousand years. Right, so he says like this: the kibbutz should that pair shmit. The ma'aseh is when you have somebody prepare a whole chum. This has happened. I've seen this happen. You're on a boat. You're going fishing. They put out all the chum, and now you have your thing out. And then another boat comes moseying on along. An hour later, it takes a long time to develop the water into a place where the ocean is enough of this kind of a chum in there that the fish are going to come. Because it has to go with the current, it takes a while for the fish to smell it to come swim over. Like these things take a while to build. Literally, could take an hour, two hours, or more. And all of a sudden, as you're sitting there for two hours, right, some boat comes along and parks right there next to what's called your chunk flick, and he starts fishing. Is that mutter or not? In the world of fishing, I will tell you, I have seen boat captains start beeping their horn and say, "Get out of here!" And a lot of choice epithets following after that. 
I developed that slick. Get out of here. They're so upset. It's a halacha. It says, but but right here, according to the sheet of papers, where anim hafafacharo doesn't apply to hafgar, and it only applies to the situation where you're purchasing. So Tysus is saying, what about the situation of the fish? Aren't the fish hafgar? Who owns the fish before that? No one owns the fish. Those fish are from hafgar. So if the fish are from hafgar, then what? Why are we saying anim hafafacharo in this case? Or can you say anim hafafacharo in this case if the fish are really from hafgar? Says Tysus. That says like this. This is Rabbeinu Meir, the father of Rabbeinu Tam, the father of the Rashbam. Right? Not only is he a great Talmud Chacham, right? He had two sons who like blew out the Jewish world, right? Forevermore, right? The Rashbam and the Rabbeinu Tam. So he says like this. Um, because the first guy was who made the chumper, who had brought in all these fish. We consider it like gazela. Yes, it's true that the fish are currently hefker, but the only reason they were misasset, the only reason the fish came from all over the sea to come and 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 you know try out this slick is because of your efforts. So it's mamish like gazela, meaning there's already a prior owner. So you could say that only a map of a cover, right? That's the sheet of papers over here. The so, so that's the uh, that is um, I thought I would mention over there. Anyhow, so I want to move on to another example. We haven't really gotten um, so far today. So we have a, a Gemara, a series of Gemaras. Gemara says like this. Um, yeah, maybe we'll start with this. This is a Yushami Bamasiya. Yushami Bamasiya is a famous Gemara. It also uh, I think appears in a lot of the storybooks. Shim and Shedak have a Asik Bahada Kisim. Shimon Shedak was working in he was working in linens, whatever, and this kind of materials. So Shimon Shedak is who anybody knows who he is? Uh, he's before the Tanam, he's before the Amaran, right? He's a member of the what we call the Zugai. Right? He's one of the Zugai. So Shimon Shedak he's working in flax. I'm gonna let Tamida. So his students told him, Rabbi, so they said to him, Rabbi, let's go get you a donkey. You won't have to work so hard. I guess you have to shut the stuff around himself. So the student said to him, let's listen, we'll get you a car. You know, we'll get you a car. You'll be able to travel much easier. You'll be more productive. You won't have to work so hard. So the Azam Zavim Lechad Chamar Mechad Sirki, they go went and bought a, bought a donkey from a, from a, a Sirki, a saccharin. And on the donkey was hanging a jewel. So Aton Lagabe, Amrle, Mon Kadunlay, Atzarakla, Itoba. He says, then Rebbe, you don't understand. This is your lucky day. You hit the lottery, you hit the jackpot, you don't have to work a lot anymore. Why not? So Amrle is Abdin Lakat Kamar Mechatse. If it's Holy Bechada Margulay, because we got you a donkey. You wouldn't believe it. On this donkey, he's hanging a Jew. On my lawn, the other by Mara, and the, the guy who was selling it, he knew that it was a Jew when he sold me the donkey. Amalei, like, no, he didn't know. So Amalei, Lun is a father. Go, go return it back to him. Again, why do I bring down this Rishon and Bonisia? It's for the point of Shemeshetach work. But 
that's the point you're supposed to, that, that's the real fundamental reason why I'm bringing down the Gemara is because Shem HaShadach was working in the But the reason we're continuing the Gemara is because the story is fantastically interesting. So he says, go return the jewel. So he, so he says, no. Um, the student says, like, why? why? Uh, we learned that they're not supposed to do such a thing. Why? Because everyone agrees. And even if you want to say Gazela from a guy is author, which is not itself so clear, again, not a topic for right now, but everyone agrees that Avedotle is Mutarat. Everyone agrees that the Aveda of a guy is mother. Right? If a guy loses an object, it's totally mother. You can go take the object. But here, this is not a gazelle from the guy. He, he lost it, so maybe we could take it. So it says of Shem Shabbat back to his students. Ma'atun Tzvirin, Shem HaShavach Barbarin Hava. Do you think that Shem HaShavach is a barbarin? What does a barbarin sound like? Barbarian, right? Barbarian is like we say, barbarian. You think I'm, 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 I'm such a, a redneck? I'm gonna come along and, and take the guy's pearl or whatever it was, the jewel. He sold me a donkey. He didn't sell me anything else. So boy, have a shim and shevach mashma brich alahun the yudoy me agar kohadin alma. The narrator is telling us that shim and shevach wanted to hear the guy say, "Blessed be the God of the Jews." More than anything else in the world. And obviously, when they got back his donkey with the jewel, that's what he would say. And the Gemara brings on other mices where such a thing happened as well. But what do I want to see from this mice? I want to see from this mice that Shimon Shabbat worked and he worked in a hard, hard labor manual. Right? He had to work with flax, and his students were trying to make his life a little easier. And how are they going to make his life a little easier? By getting him a car, by getting him a chamar to, to make him, you know, have a little bit of an easier time. Of so Gemara says, and the, here in the Yerushalmi, another um, another mindset like this also, um, like a few different stories, all all basically the same the same idea, where people were mutter effectively with avedis akum, was just a lost object of a brain theory to take it from Allah, but they didn't take it. Why not? Because of the fact that they wanted to have the guy say how great is the Jewish God. Um, one last Gemara before we finish for today. Also, Gemara Yishalmi Bavetzia. Gemara says like this: We don't really know what that means. Different Gemara say different things, but just the Meisha says that. He would uh, make the meat look pretty. Um, he would make the meat look pretty because he was like in, in the butcher business. So he would make the meat look pretty. So my grandpa was a butcher. And so this is a very near and dear topic. You know how when you go to the store, you have meat and it looks pretty? What is the meat supposed to look like when you go to the store? Yeah. All right, so I thought you should, you should know the following. Um, I'm, I'm uh, quoting here a story that I brought online. Um, I don't remember who wrote it. it doesn't say. You can see how long it is. I don't know, but I think it's, it, it, this is this is what I grew up with. This is sort of what I, I know is the truth. 
So grocery stores <clears throat> like to run <clears throat> low waste, especially for perishable products like meat. To cut down on possible waste, retailers focus on common sense tactics like monitoring the temperatures of display cases multiple times a day. If a store has enough butchers, they will aim to stay just ahead of the demand, only cutting and grinding meat according to what's needed. When the meat moves past its prime, a store's response depends on both company policies and state and local regulations. Stores generally decide their own best buy or expiration dates. Obviously, stores have a vested interest in never selling expired products that pose a danger to customers. So decisions are made according to internal quality control standards. A grocery store may discount the meat, which may or may not involve changing the expiration. Stores may also choose to turn a roast into ground beef or put the meat into a sauce or a marinade to lengthen its shelf life. Think of all the marinated chicken screws that you'll see in a store. Recycling a fresh, processed, frozen discount as a native food is standard in the produce, deli, and meat department. An industry built on perishable products needs to recycle, reuse, and repurpose what is possible to minimize food waste. But in reality, these options are all the last resorts of the modern day grocers. The true focus of the modern meat department is to never get to the point where you need to make these choices. Because if you keep enough, if you keep up the cosmetic appearance of the meat, you might just buy enough of the freshness window in the consumer's eyes, but you'll never need to worry about your product going to waste. You see, when a piece of meat is exposed to radiation, I'm sorry, exposed to air, not radiation. That was good. When a, when a piece of meat is exposed to air, oxidation naturally turns the meat from purple, which is the natural color, to red, and over time to brown, and finally to gray. But yet, when you walk into a supermarket, you'll be greeted with display cases full of red meat. This red meat technique is possible because of MAP, modified air packaging. A patching technique that's been around for decades. In the patching process, food manufacturers remove the natural air from the packaging and replace it with a mix of gases like nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and carbon monoxide. The exact gas formula depends on which characteristics the manufacturer is trying to preserve. MAP is used to package everything from chips to salad mixes. You can easily recognize the technique in packaging when there's a sealed edge that still maintains a firm and puffed up shape. MAP is packaging for meat. Commonly used carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide is a odorless poisonous gas that you know about from your homes. And when the carbon monoxide meets the myoglobin in the blood and the meat, the reaction impacts the normal color change the process meat will go through when exposed to oxygen. The result is a bright red color that can stay for several weeks. It's still fresh, but it looks like it just came off, the cow just died today. Here's the meat. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> if somehow it gets past the red, you know it's already a month old. Yeah. So, Ravimi, Malchav, and Mifter Sarduzi, again, we don't know exactly what it means, but they might just think that it, they used to wash the meat to make it look pretty. Rather, the context here is that the, the Mishnah had told us that, that there's ways that you can act inappropriately to people. Right? And one of the ways to act inappropriate to people is what they call the lipstick on a pig, right? Is by dressing something up the way it shouldn't be dressed up. It's not honest in business. So the Gemara said, the, the Mishnah said, I'm sorry, aim the fire escape. Loy, loy, not supposed to dress up the olden day word, gutsy up. You shouldn't gutsy up the person. Now, you shouldn't say this to your wife, but. Um, 
you shouldn't put on makeup on a person. What is what the mission telling you? When I was on dates, when I was, I shouldn't admit this, but um, I would often very ask the girl, like, why do you wear makeup? I'm not wearing makeup. <laughs> so, so uh, I did. You can ask about it. Um, in any event, we had a whole discussion about feminism. But the the point is, um, the mission is telling you to aim the fire and last other. Shouldn't put makeup on a person. So you should understand it's not talking about a, a regular person. It's about a slave. In those days, we had slave markets, and and people would dress up as slaves to make the slave look prettier. So they could be sold better. That's what we're discussing in this, just to be clear. But not just an animal, uh, not just a person, but also an animal. You're not supposed to dress up an animal. You can make a, you can make an animal look prettier, I guess. And uh, you know, I, I I can't believe this is true, but it is true. They have camel beauty contests. <laughs> this is not a joke. This is true. They have camel beauty contests in like places like Saudi Arabia and the Middle East. It goes so far that they put in like plastic injections that they do, you know, for plastic, they do it for the camel. Well, I don't know exactly what it's called, but whatever it is for the animals, I don't know, but but they do the two things. Amazing, amazing. Um, and the last, the kale, you're not supposed to dress up your kale. That's the context that the Gemara and Yusham was discussing. Yushami then is going on, right? He would, he would make his, he would make his meat look pretty. What do I want from this Gemara? I don't want to just the focus to be on the substance of the story. I want to just be at the point is, hey, you have an Amira who's working. Right? He's a butcher. Yes? Right. So Amira of Yagabar, Achabat, Tanina, and Imfargus, and he says to him, what are you doing? We you learn you're not supposed to put the, you're not supposed to put makeup on, on Caleb. You're not supposed to make things look prettier than they really are. That's a cheat. So why are you doing this? So, the Umar doesn't have a response from Rav Dimim, but the Umar just says, You see that the idea of not putting on the makeup on, on, a, on a slave or on an animal or on Caleb applies even to food. Even on food, you can market it. Even on food, you can make it look prettier than it is, which is what? We just brought down this whole mapping idea that people do with the butchers and the meat departments and all the uh, 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 grocery stores. But the Umar then says, Rav Zira have an have a kiss. I remember I was there, we had him in the Gemara Kedushan on it, right? We had the Gemara Kedushan on the where we discussed where Rabbi Gidel went and complained to Rabbi Zera, right? About Rabbi Abba coming and buying his land, and, and Rabbi Zera went and went to Masar on uh, Rabbi Abba to Rabbi Zera, right? So here we have Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera was also in business. What was Rabbi Zera's business? So Rabbi Zera had the kids, and he was also working in flax, like similar to Shetha. Different generations, even on Myra, but, but in that sense, Similar kind of profession. So, also Gabriel Rabavo. So, he came to Rabbi Avo. Rabbi Avo was a famous, uh, he was a rabbi of Kesaria. He was also very handsome, like very incredibly good looking person. So, uh, Rabbi Zera came to him with a Shiloh. Uh, Rabbi Zera was working in the flax. So, he came to Rabbi Avo with, a, with, a, with this point about how you can make the flax look nice. So, I'm like, my, I know. He's like, am I doing okay when I'm making my flax this night? He says, do whatever you can to make it look nice. Which sounds like a little bit of a different approach than what we just saw. Again, I don't know enough about flax. I don't know what he was doing. But if there was wondering whether or not it's okay to do what he was doing, he went to Rafa, and says, okay. 
And it's not saying it's okay because you're a Talmud It's saying it's okay. So, so you could make some things look prettier. Again, not 100% clear. The more that continues, another master. Um, I don't know, again, Ravavo was a crown rabbi of Kesaria, and he was very good looking, and all the women were very obsessed with him because the Gemara followed a few different places. Ravavo was in a business also. I guess they didn't pay enough salary to be the town rabbi of Kesaria, which is a real, uh, it was not a very orthodox town, it was a mixed town. The more says, he worked in um, he worked in uh, women's shawls. He sold women's clothes without getting into the more than the condition about being in a woman's business. Perfume is really more with women. He sold women's shawls. So, so also, in other words, take from the Gemara like Rav Gidol, right? the man who is incredibly good looking. The says, the man who the Gemara and that says the woman with mamish pekalsen and sings songs and serenade him as he walks. He's so handsome, such a, an impressive figure. Was in the business where the mission is telling us the condition of the person shouldn't be in such a business because business was involving women. That's the kind of level we're discussing. These kinds of rabbis, yeah, they're mamish unbelievable. Unbe- like the the purity is, is is what should blow everyone's mind. The bravo have a that he was in the business here of selling women shawls. Also, shawl rabbi says, um, am I allowed to make it look nice, make nice displays, whatever, make it look pretty? Whatever you know how to do, that's what you should do. It could be, although I didn't see it in any of the Mepharshim, but it could be, it could be like it's part of the, we saw the Gabar in Stockholm, right? We talked about Edmar uh, Brachas. That the Thomas Hoffman is supposed to help him, right? He's supposed to help the Thomas Hoffman do his pragmatia. He's supposed to help him try to do his, his work, right? That's the way of helping him. You're not giving him stock, huh? He's working. Well, you help him, let him, like you let him sell his wares first. You let him do things that enables him to go back to learn, right? So he doesn't have to waste his time just working the whole time. So it could be in this, like maybe, you know, you have a little bit of a, in the case of the meat, maybe there's a specific danger or not. But here, I think Mark's giving definitely a head there, both of Sarah, um, who got it from Richard Canino. And um, uh, Rav so Rav got it from Bishop Rav Avoh, got it from Rav Avoh, and the more brings that in, in, in this order, but maybe Rav Avoh first had it happen to Bishop Rav and then he gave it to Rav that you could make your weirs look good in order to help market, in order to help sell. I'll just conclude one point, which is, you know, that the, um, the marketing, um, and this is, I'm not saying this is what your date should tell you, but if you ask the question, the date could respond with the measure. The measure says, that when Adam Rishan, after he was looking around to get married, couldn't find his spouse, so Adam named Mata Ezer Kenegdai, what happened? I thought he was to put him in a Taidema and he fashions a, a woman, right? That woman is Pav, and that's who Adam says, Oh, please, Pav, Pam, What does the Medrash say? That it wasn't so simple. It wasn't so simple that Adam saw Chav and said, Oh, this is it. The Medrash says that Akar Shbon gave. Hashem made her pretty. Hashem made her look in such a manner. Adam was very, very interested. So marketing has been around from the very dawn of time according to Hazal. There's nothing wrong with it. But there's a difference between marketing and lying. One needs to be able to be a chakam to be able to tell the difference.